welcome to episode six of the College Radio Refugee Podcast. I'm your musical spring sunrise, Jonathan Lyons. This week, I had the chance to sit down with Mike Shirley Donnelly from the Bay Area band Curious Quail. The band has released two full-length albums and one EP of orchestral rock with a unique twist. Mike and I discussed his songwriting process, the changes the band has gone through, and a short chat about the essential video games every kid should play. I hope you enjoy the interview. As always, you can comment on the College Radio Refugee Podbean page. Make sure to visit the Tumblr page at www.collegeradiorefugee.tumblr.com and follow me on Twitter at JohnLyons24. And now, Mike Shirley Donnelly of Curious Quail. Enjoy! All right, so we are here today visiting with Mike Shirley Donnelly of the band Curious Quail. Mike, thanks for taking some time out to, to talk to me today. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Mike is the lead singer, songwriter, principal guitarist for the San Francisco-based uh, five-piece. Are we five-piece now? Are we up We're five-piece We're up to yeah, five? No, th- things have changed. <laughs> uh, five-piece band out of, uh, out of San Francisco called Curious Quail, who uh, released their second full-length record about six months ago, seven months ago? Yeah. Actually, it's it's almost been a year because it came out in um, June. Was it May? Yeah, it was May thirtieth. Okay. Of uh, of twenty fourteen, actually. So we're we're, oh, wow. we're about two years out. I know. I know. <laughs> doesn't feel like it's been that long. It doesn't. It, <laughs> it very much does not. So, wanted to talk to you a little bit today. Um, I've been following you guys for a while uh, since all the way back, pretty much. I think the first time I wrote about you was probably the last record, the first the first. Yeah, yeah, I remember stumbling across that and thinking, like, wow, this, these are really nice things said about our record by someone I've never met. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good thing, right? Right, right. Um, and, uh, yeah, so uh, it's, uh, it was instant gratification was what the, the review you, you'd put up. And, right. Uh, a while that, was, that was a long time ago. That was a few, kind of, a few days ago. It feels like a whole lifetime ago, you know, like yeah. make the joke about the, you know, we're a five piece now, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because for a while we were a seven and a six right. and then a four or five and then we had like eight people on stage at one point. So, um, yeah, it, it feels like there's many different iterations of of the band. Now, the the band started out as just you, basically. That's Yeah, that's correct. So we've gone from essentially what started out to be a solo project to yep. to more of a group project. Yep. At what point did you decide you wanted to start bringing other people into your your songwriting universe or your process? Um, so the the first record was entirely me, uh, as far as the the live show, the um, the record the the album version was entirely me. Um, and then the second one, I would say, was about like maybe eighty percent me, uh, in that. I had started playing with some people live. Uh, I was in another band at the time, mm-hmm. and the drummer from that band was like, dude, I, I like what you're doing, but you need a drummer. So he started sitting in, and then a couple of other people started kind of helping out, and that's when the we, you know we make the, the, the Pokemon joke about how, you know, like, got to catch them all. Right. Like, oh, cool, a trumpet player, let's <laughs> grab that, you know? Like, uh, but um, that that's when it kind of started to get a little crazy, but from the songwriting perspective and from the album perspective, it was still me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it really wasn't until After the Lights Failed, which we started working on in 2013, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm still the principal songwriter. Uh, I still, you know, basically sketch out the entire idea and then, you know, bring the members of the band in to be like, okay, uh, this, what you have there is cool, but I can do this and be cooler. Uh, our violinist is like a world-class concert master. So right. he's like, okay, the arrangement works, but if we shift this and blah, blah, So they, it's very collaborative in that regard. But for the most part, it's still like, it's my song that I bring. And they, they know how to, uh, they know how to make everything work. Like we, we can all sort of work together as a team to, to build something. Okay. So your band is kind of interesting in many ways because you're doing some, all right. So you're going to have to explain it to me because I think I've got a handle on it, but for people okay. who may are not familiar with it, cause this is going to be that question that I'm sure you get 4,000 times, but what is chiptune? <laughs> Okay. Um, the the base like textbook definition of chiptune is music that is made with a uh, computer sound chip of some sort. Okay. Most often, it's done with some sort of old, outdated video game or computer hardware. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the the biggest uh, like um, culprits are the Nintendo Game Boy, which is what I use, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Commodore sixty four. Um, the Nintendo Entertainment System, like the old, you know, NES. Um, and that's basically that the, the hardware is being hacked, more or less, to produce music, which, you know, for the most part, it could, because they have these sound chips that were designed to make music for the games or sound effects for the games, but it's to be used as an instrument instead of just uh, background noise of something else. Okay. So... Is that a conscious decision to write with a, a, a video game machine? How does how does how does how did you start that process? So it was it was kind of strange when I um, it was like 2008 and I had just sort of quit the rock band I was in. Like we were, it was pretty straight ahead rock band. I was still mostly the songwriter, but it was you know guitars and we were. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't really inspiring me, mm-hmm. and I kind of sat down and was like, okay, I'm gonna start a solo project, and what do I want? out of this. Uh, I want, um, I want loud fuzzy guitar because that's something that I just, I love loud fuzzy guitar. Right. Uh, I also really like video game soundtracks and I kind of parse that into like twofold. I love the old school retro, you know, bleeps and bloops kind of thing. But I also love this sort of symphonic turn that things were going in, in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you'd, you'd start to see like concerts of like, uh, you know, a symphony playing music from the Legend of Zelda series and right. stuff like that. So I, I kind of like this, the sort of twofold approach to that. So I said, okay, well, uh, let's, let's mix that. I'm going to do guitar rock. Uh, I'm also going to do, um, let's take this old Atari 800 computer. And I didn't realize that this was a thing that people were actually doing at this point. So uh, I was recording these sounds that it was making and then pitch shifting it in Pro Tools and like making these weird like (laughs) noises uh, to sort of achieve that sound because that's how I thought that's how you did that. Uh, And then I was also using string samples and orchestral samples and like kind of all this other stuff. So, so our first EP, the glow is kind of this range of um, dude with acoustic guitar to loud, fuzzy rock with like ridiculous guitar solo uh, to these sort of like almost electro pop kind of, there's like an 808, you know, right. drum kit in there mm-hmm. with these like bleeps and bloops and like weird video game sounds. 
uh, but you know, layered with strings and stuff sort of throughout. So I, I sort of built this thing as a, this is all the different stuff I want to do over a range of five songs. I feel like it's cohesive. Does this work? And uh, I, I guess the answer was yes, because then you know I started to do shows with it, and then people started to join the band, and we, we ended up getting a live violinist. You know, Alan uh, is uh, a man like he's he is like a gift from the higher whatever. Yeah, he's something. Like, he is. Yeah, he, he's something. So talented. Mm-hmm. Um, so it became this sort of like okay, well, it's just part of the sound at this point. Mm-hmm. So then I discovered the. Um, sort of the, the, the chip music, chip tune community and how to use much easier tools like the Nintendo Game Boy has uh, a couple of different pieces of software for it. You can get it in cartridge form, it plugs into the Game Boy hmm. and then you can just use it as a sequencer, or, you know, like a synthesizer. Right. Um, so I use something called LSDJ, which stands for Littlest Sound DJ. Um, and uh, it's it's... Fantastic! I can program all the stuff. Uh, my Game Boy is modified so that there's a audio, uh, like a, a clear audio jack out of it, because the headphone jack and the original ones are super, super, super noisy. Mm. Um, and so I can send that out, and it can play along with us, and we can, you know, have it be sort of a, a part of our sound uh, while we're still doing, you know, loud fuzzy guitar stuff and crazy violin orchestral stuff all kind of mixed together. Cool. So. The the record that you just put out, the well, now a year almost a year as we've determined that it, <laughs> neither one of us can tell time apparently. Uh, no. That's a concept album. Yeah, and so that was kind of the other thing, um, on the less technical side of it. I when I was writing the, the songs, the the lyrics, the melodies, the everything. Um, you know, I, I consider myself a, a failed novelist <laughs> in that uh, I, I had written a bunch of stuff that was going to be an interconnected series of short stories. It was basically going to be a, like a three-book series, and each book was broken up in a bunch of little short stories that are all kind of set in the same thing and how they all connect. Right. Um, and so th- these characters and these ideas and these everything were just kind of sitting uh, in notebooks in like my parents' garage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was like, okay, I'm actually going to do something with these. So I started turning those into the stories for the lyrics that I you know, was writing for Quail, uh, and so the first EP very much has like smattering of that. Like it's kind of a few little ideas here and there, but right. it's definitely part of that story. Mm-hmm. And then Instant Gratification, the the first full length that we put out, was a straight up concept album. Uh, but uh, you know, same with After the Lights Failed, it was very much this is a concept album. But I went kind of out of my way to make sure that everything could be enjoyed by itself. Um, so you can listen to the song and enjoy it. You don't necessarily have to have the full album impact. Like no one song I feel like is dependent on another song to get the most out of it. And with the, with this education, we weren't really heavy handed with the fact that it was a concept album. So a lot of people didn't know that and people just liked the record and right. enjoyed the songs. Right. Um, with after the wise Field, we were like, okay, no, yeah, this is, this is a story. This is a thing. This is very cohesive. Um, and it's it's kind of like you know it's got a bunch of like neat little Easter eggs for people that have listened to all of our stuff because uh, certain characters, certain themes, certain motifs come back, and so you'll have songs that kind of reference other songs, um, and uh, that that was sort of a conscious decision I wanted to do, but then Alan sort of made it a lot easier because he loves that kind of stuff. So it, we'd be working on something, and he'd be like, 
hey, wait, story-wise, does this song connect to and give me just another song? He'd be like, well, actually, yeah, it does. He's like, okay, cool. And then he would, like, do a variant on that song's, oh, wow. like, chorus melody in mm-hmm. the other, yeah. So it was it was a lot of fun in that in that regard. So I think one of the things that I, I like about the new record, I, I mean, like is a, a relative term. It's all good, right? I, I don't think I've ever said a bad <laughs> word about anything you've ever produced. But uh, thank you. <laughs> but I think you notice on, and I don't know if this was conscious or not, but you notice it the jump between the the first full proper album and the, and the sec this the, the last one the, after Lights Fail. This one feels a little grander, like a little bigger in some ways. Yes. There seems to be more of an emphasis on kind of mood and and feel you know in terms of this the, the way that the and I, that's that's kind of interesting the way it's kind of jumped to that next that next step right i mean it's not just a collection of songs it, it kind of all hangs together but there's enough difference in the songs where you can kind of you know you go from say like moon and stars which is a very kind of you know quiet kind of at least at the beginning, and then you go to that to the villain, which is kind of this huge like explosion <laughs> of of like you know smashing pumpkins, guitars, and all that stuff. So um, I, I like that idea that there's a lot of differences within the record. Is, was that when you sat down to write? Do you write with that idea in mind that like okay, we're trying to do different things, or is it just kind of how things come up? Uh, I, I think absolutely. It's it's less like a, I'm going to do this, and more of a that's what's going through my head as I'm writing the songs. So it just kind of ends up that way. Um, but you know, like mixing stuff that's like really dynamic and really loud with stuff that's really quiet, uh, has always, you know, sort of been a thing. And also, uh, you know, listening to, cause for lack of a better term, it's a record about, you know, people that have survived the end of the world. Right. So it's, you know, from their perspective and from their, their stories of the, uh, you know, their experiences of what it's like. And, you know, sometimes it's going to be super aggressive in your face, like something like the villain or something like, uh. You know, even instant gratification, like mm-hmm. track two, right. like right out of the gate is like, you know, there's a drum film and mm-hmm. it's immediately just like bam, bam in your face. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, you kind of need a breather every now and then you need a, you need a song like Braid to mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, all right. Yeah. We can kind of, <laughs> we can... right. You don't want to move. You don't want to have that, 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 you know, breakneck speed, the whole record. Right. Exactly. Okay. And, uh, so yeah, it, it was very much kind of. I, I think I knew the track listing before even all of the songs were complete. Like from a story perspective, it was like, this is chronologically what I want to do. And I think we even had a couple of arguments for like, Oh, this song would go better if we put it here. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, comma, it needs to go before this other one because, and, and again, to the average person, this won't matter at all. But to me, it's like, no, we haven't set up this character yet. We have to do it three songs earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but you know, all in all, I feel like the album flowed really well. Right. Do you find, because I think one of the things when I talk to other people or, or you know, as I listen to music it now compared to maybe where I was 10 years ago or, or whatever, the, the concept of an album has changed quite a bit. I mean, people yeah. people produce music in a much different fashion than maybe they did. Do, do you feel like, was it a conscious decision to say, we're going to put an album together? Like, we're going to put, a, we're not necessarily looking for a, a you know, a, a hit single or a pop song or something that would play on the radio. I mean, there are things on the record that will play on the radio or will play on, you know, whatever streaming service happens to be the, the flavor of the month. 
Right. But it was a conscious decision by you guys to say, we're going to put together a body of work. It's designed to be listened to as a body of work. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, it was it was sort of twofold because one, from a story perspective, it's mm-hmm. the thing I wanted to do. I didn't want any of those songs to sort of be out there by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and again, you know, again like they, they could have, and they very well, we could have done like a, a single approach. A bunch of our friends' bands are basically just doing the like every two months putting out a single instead of an actual record. And, you know, for some people that works and, and that's awesome because I agree like the, the album format, you know, every, every other day there's like a digital music news article about how like the album is dead and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but, um, the sort of the other thing behind it was that up until that point, everything was mostly me. So we wanted to put out a record that was the five of us together sort of as a team. We wanted to go do, you know, do something that we could all be proud of. Because for a long period of time, we had members in the band, you know, sort of come and go that were, you know, we were playing shows and we have CDs for sale and they're not on it. Mm. You know, and that's that sort of uh, um, that ownership, you know, like it's harder to push something, you know, yeah, please come to my show and see me play. But if you buy the record, that's not me. I'm playing that guitar chord or I'm playing this other thing, but that's not me. So having that was sort of super important to us. And then we also had just sort of come off the heels of uh, shifting from a seven piece to a five piece where we had a conversation with everybody. We had just gotten uh, a really, we'd gotten radio play. We'd gotten uh, added to like a really huge festival with like Silver Sun pickups and stuff. Right. Uh, you know, our local radio station was, you know, touting us and we were like, okay, cool. Um, we kind of have to, we're, we're taking this seriously. We're going to start touring. We're going to start doing all this. Who's in, who's out. And we had two people that were like, dude, I, I just, I just can't. Uh, right. This is yeah, like a hobby you, for me. Right. You just changed, changed over the band again just recently, right? Yeah, and so that's happened since then, but at the time, uh, you know, we were like, okay, well, what, the five of us, let's do a Kickstarter, let's, uh, let's raise money, let's do this album that we've been sort of talking about doing, let's, let's do it. So that was, like, super important that we do an entire, like, 10-track thing. And there was, there was kind of never a moment where it's like, oh, we could add this other song, or this song could, it was like, no, the, the, these are the 10 songs, we're doing this, and let's get it out there. You bring up playing live. Playing live is obviously a different, a different experience than than putting a record together. Right. And and so now that you've kind of solidified your five piece and you're starting to think about the the live show, does that does that change how you approach like what you're writing now? Do you, I mean, do you write more with the idea of I'm we're writing something that will play live better, or is it just kind of where wherever things take you? Honestly, no. Um, you know, as as we're working on new stuff, it's. Uh, I'm still writing from the perspective of, all right, let's continue this story. Mm-hmm. Let's tell, you know, uh, these new characters, different environment, different, et cetera. Um, and uh, now we still very much kind of approach it the same way in, in that regard. Because uh, we've been playing live. Uh, I, I've been playing live as Quail as long as Quail has existed. Mm-hmm. And for a while, we were kind of doing these sort of um, variant versions, I guess, of some of the songs. Like, we would play uh, a song like Yesterday I Watched the World End off of our first EP, which is like super, super electropop. Like right. it's, uh, it's v- there's not a real drum on the track. Right. Um, and we would play this like almost hard rock version of it uh, live just to kind of, you know, give it, give it this variance. And, you know, the, the synthesizer parts are all played like on the violin and like electric guitar. And um, uh, it, so it's, it's been like this like ongoing thing where, yeah, we've, we've been doing the live show for so long that it, 
kind of doesn't really impact. Like it doesn't go go one way or the other. Okay. Um, so what are the plans moving forward? Are you you're recording? Yep. Recording your um, stuff. So we we put out a a single. Um, we put out a single last year uh, called Rallying Cry. Right. And uh, it was it's part of a five-piece EP that we are working on. Um, and then we just kind of teased uh, another track from that the last month. We put out a, an acoustic uh, Tiny Desk video for the NPR contest. Right, I saw that. Uh, and we, uh, we dropped one of the new songs that we're going to be recording as a full band. So um, super stoked about that. And then we're, we're hoping for, you know, spring 2016. But you know how this stuff goes. Sure. We, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you get moving in one direction or the other, and the next thing you know, it's it goes from being well, like, EP to a record, exactly. or you know, and, you know, like, you know. Uh, not not to be like too much uh, sausages and insider baseball, <laughs> but uh, the you know we recorded that song, and uh, when that song was being written, our guitarist who was our guitarist for the Act of Lights failed, you know, like uh, the entire album cycle. He left. Uh, he got a job with Apple, and he was like, you know, I kind of have to focus on, you know, real life. Right. Um, and uh, love him to death. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so we, you know, had a new guitarist come in. So then we kind of had to, you know, make sure that that worked out. And we put out the new single. And then shortly after that, due to, you know, the fact that the Bay Area is one of the most expensive places to live in the country, if not, I think, the most now. Yeah. Um, our uh, our bassist and uh, other vocalist Aaron, you know, uh, came to us and said, you know, financial family reasons, she has to move out of the Bay Area. So she left the band um, late late last year, and uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been interesting. We you know we have a new bassist, his name's Josh. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so our entire recording process probably would have happened a lot sooner had we not had some of these hiccups. So now it's like we kind of, you end up in like this weird sort of limbo, but on the flip side, like I'm super excited with how everything is turning out and we're, you know, we're getting this done. So it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty thrilling to kind of hit roadblocks and then kind of view them as like, well, okay, this is a challenge because now, you know, from a live show, we don't have Aaron's female vocals anymore. Okay. Um, which was, uh, you know, kind of kind of a, a big thing. And I realized uh, there was one of the first shows we did without her. I realized I haven't sung at a live show without her in almost like two and a half years. Oh wow! And it was it was it was pretty trippy. But it also sort of frees me up because there's certain songs where like, uh, oh, I'd like to actually you know like play with this melody live or shift something around, and mm. I kind of never could because the two of us had to be locked in. And now right. So it's. It's neat. I'm kind of viewing it like it's terrible because, you know, I miss the hell out of her. But on the other hand, it's like it's super rad because then I'm also like able to sort of, you know, yeah, gain experience and level up. <laughs> uh, just a couple more questions. Uh, thank you for taking the time out uh, to, to talk no to me. Um, so you had said you had said that you guys are planning on going out out and about that you're going to you're thinking about touring. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so we did. We toured last. So year. far, you guys have just kind of been in the the Bay Area. Uh, yeah. So we're we're uh, we're based out of the Bay Area, but so right. we we toured uh, last year, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was awesome. Uh, really, really good responses uh, in cities we'd never been to. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it was it was kind of, it was a really rad feeling. Mm-hmm. And then we've done uh, a couple of one offs here and there. Like we play a yearly. Um, uh, chip tune festival down in LA called Frequency. Right. So we we done that two years in a row, and uh, 
you know, we're, we're working on a couple of other uh, festivals. Last year, we got into UMS in Denver. Um, and uh, there, there was some scheduling, like, mishaps. Uh, so it ended up, like, we ended up not being able to go. But it was it was kind of nice to be able to sort of, like, add that to the list of things that, oh, cool, we can do this. And uh, we were scheduled on one day. And then week beforehand, they switched the schedule to a day that we couldn't all actually even be in the state. So it was... You know, kind of a kind of a bit of a CF, but like, you know, we we're doing it. Like we were planning out our once we have this thing done, uh, we're already planning out our, our tour dates for 2016 and and kind of beyond. Like, pretty much anywhere we feel like we can play with a band that we'd care about or have you know a, a group of people there that we'd be appreciative. I right, we'll we'll do it. We'll do it. So the last question, and I'm going to tap into your video game expertise, because uh, that's so I have my I have three children who are okay. who are video game, video game kids, but they don't have the historical pre- knowledge of video videos have video games have history now right they've been around right. a long time, so from a historical perspective, from your from your take as as someone who has played video games and been that that community for a long time, what what would you say to a kid like this is the one you have to play. Like, here's a ten mm. year old kid. This is this is the one. Like, I'm gonna introduce you to my the the game. What is the game in your mind? Oh, man, okay, so that's that's tricky for so many different reasons. <laughs> that's the equivalent uh, of asking somebody for their favorite album, isn't it? It's yeah, like, <laughs> like it's not fair. Uh, like, I'd, I'd have to I have to break it down into a couple for for various reasons. Because like, I feel like it it almost goes without saying that you know. Uh, Playing something like the original Mario is obviously like super necessary just yes. to kind of understand the the concept of of that. But like, uh, I I would say for me, it would have to be Earthbound for okay. the Super Nintendo. Okay. Um, and probably you know like I, I have an RPG bias. Obviously, uh, I'd, I'd probably say that Chrono Trigger would be the other one. Okay. Um, and you know the reason for that is the story, the character development, the gameplay mm-hmm. mechanics. Um, the music, like the soundtracks for those games are phenomenal. Right. Um, and you know, like obviously everyone should play the original Legend of Zelda. Right. Everyone that, should play. that was the one I kind of, th- I, I thought you might go to that one, so it was interesting. Yeah. It just seems like too, it, it's almost like too obvious. Like mm-hmm. I would rather give someone a, this is something you have to play that you may not have heard of. Okay. You might have heard someone talk about it in passing. Or you may like see it somewhere, like see it on eBay, or, like Super Nintendo cartridge that goes for 200 bucks. What is that? What is that? Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, I, I would I would rather recommend stuff that might have flown under their radar. Very cool. Well, I you've now officially set me back another like three hundred dollars that I'll have to go get this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be fair, um, Earthbound is now available on the Wii U Virtual Console, I think oh. for like ten bucks. Oh, okay. Uh, and Chrono Trigger is available on Android, iOS, and the 3DS. So if you have any of, I mean, if you have a smartphone, you can, you can play it on your phone. It's not ideal. I'd rather play it with a controller. Sure. But. Okay. Food for thought. Ah, well, that's good. Yes. I was not paid to say that. (laughs) Yes. This, there is a no way advertising for this particular podcast. Um, all right. Well, uh, we're going to, we're going to wrap up. Mike, thank you so much for, for taking some time out to, to talk to me today. Um, no, thanks for having me, man. This is fantastic. It's, it's good to finally talk to you after all these years. <laughs> yeah, I know. We've like, we, like I said, we've been dancing around through Twitter and Tumblr and every social media forum we can come up with. 
Um, so if, if folks want to find more information about Curious Quail, where do they go? Uh, CuriousQuail.com. Um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're Curious Quail, one word on everything. Uh, like you, you Google us and you don't get birds on the first page anymore. It's so cool. <laughs> yes, that, that is true. It used to be right. The first time you, uh, the first time I looked into you guys, I did, I got a nice picture for, for my wall, uh, <laughs> which was very nice. Um, so the, the record, the new record, or not new, but recent record is after the lights failed and yep. that is out in all kinds of places and you can go right to their website to buy it. Yeah. There's a couple of CDs left. So, okay, uh, good. And uh, we will. I hope you hope everything goes well with your recording, and hopefully we'll be able to see you guys when you're down in Southern California this time. Absolutely. All right, Mike. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, well, thanks, man. Okay.